January 18, 2021. It's the Watt Pedro
Monday, Brother Matt on the Love Grotto a couple miles south because we're still in quite quarantino mode, but I'm not totally man alone. 
because of those software geniuses in Estonia with their Skype invention. I got Shazad from, uh, <laughs> from where you call me from? New York City, right? That's right. I'm calling you from Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. That borough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the five. Right, right. Uh, oh, I should tell the people what we uh, started the show off with. It, it's kind of a rare recording, people. Only time that John Coltrane recorded with Sonny Rollins. And it's a tune called Tenor Madness. I wow. Think it, I think it was from a uh, year before I was born in 56. Mm. And then we heard Ravenna, which is the town uh, Mr. Dante got buried in. <laughs> no way. Peachy way. And uh, you hear my guess there, right, people? Yeah, I did. I did. That was this, great. This was uh, Leo Abrams and Shazad Ismaili. Shazad, let's talk about your music, incredible music journey and try to go back as far as we can. What's your earliest musical recollection? So earliest, earliest, I'm a little kid and um, maybe I might be around five, four or five years old, something like that. And um, my parents got me a paper Muppets drum set. And I remember being deeply touched by Animal and probably the kind of ferocious, chaotic, lack of discipline energy he put into playing the drums. And I still remember seeing those early Muppets shows, seeing him just totally freak out back there, kick things over, just run around yelling. And then I had this Muppets paper drum set. I was playing it a lot. And then the first real sentient musician memory was somehow my parents taking me to a record store and me insisting that they that they buy me some kiss vinyl records and these would have been the solo records that they did like when there was there was a record by each of them and then the poster that came with it was just that that kiss member's face and i had those up on my all up on my wall my walls, my walls were painted orange, and I had a fully orange box bedroom, walls and ceiling and floors and everything. Can you please explain to me paper drum set? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're a little kid, and so you're in some sort of Walmart of the era because I grew up in really small towns in Pennsylvania, so it was some sort of dollar store, Dollar General, something or other, and on some higher shelf there was a drum set but it was in pretty much entirely made out of paper i think the shells were like harder cardboard but the heads themselves were paper and then there was a little paper cut out kick drum pedal and hi-hat and stuff now were the sticks paper yeah the sticks were also cardboard <laughs> too and so it's like dun, 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 dun. but at least them being paper you didn't beat the shit out of it too much <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, Kiss. Okay. Me and D. Boom, we saw Kiss, I think, four or five times before they even had their first album out. So, we share. No way. Yeah, Pinchy Way. Look, I, I, I remember what you're talking about. Like, the, the covers are very similar, except, yeah, it's each of their faces. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, it's been interesting as an adult. I've gone to try to look for some of those shows 
that you and Dee Boone must have seen like super early days where they're touring kind of like a Maxwell's and Hoboken sort of club circuit. Yeah, I don't know if that existed. And, you know, it was still arena rock. So we're, we're, we're seeing them at Long Beach Arena. And, wow. But but it ain't their gig. They're opening up. So, but they would open up yeah. for anybody. Savoy Brown, Wishbone Ash, Nitty Gritty <laughs> Dirt Band, Bachman Turner Overdrive. I mean, I, I saw them. Camel. Wow. <laughs> the five-man uh, James Gang with uh, Tommy Bowen. Uh, in fact, that that gig, Gene Simmons' hair caught fire, and I saw Rhodey come on stage with a towel and knock the fire out off his head. Because <laughs> we, me and D. Boom were way on the side, but it was that side where it happened. Yeah, of course, it was at the end of Firehouse. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, I don't know. They were kind of like, obviously doing New York Dolls kind of rock, but which was actually Chuck Berry kind of, it was, it was, it was a way maybe on the road to the movement because the arena rock, I think totally the movement was a reaction against the arena rock because I know that that kind of stuff existed in the sixties. Cause I helped the Stooges out for a while. Uh, now uh, in this pad, you grew up with the orange box bedroom. Was yeah. there was there any musical instruments besides paper drum sets? No, this was the thing is that my parents didn't play, my grandparents didn't play. There was no home stereo. There was just like no music. It was like a I try sometimes I describe my childhood um by this Somerset Mom novel that I came across one time. I was just thumbing through it on a train somewhere reading. And um in this novel, there's a description of a young boy who is not with his not being raised by his parents anymore and instead he's being raised by the pastor and the pastor's wife in this tiny town somewhere and the parent these the 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 pastor and his and his wife are way older than the kid like sort of grandparent generation and um they're very severe so the kid comes down to the table and there's dust everywhere like there's just it's gray dust it's slowly falling and accumulating no one's saying anything. The pastor comes out and very severely takes a hard-boiled egg and cuts it into three pieces and then quietly puts it in front of his wife and this kid and himself, and they just are slowly eating their one-third of an egg, and the dust is falling. And in a way, that's what my childhood was like. It was very severe, very quiet, no music. Um, my parents were heavy math and science people, and so I had to find my road to music completely by myself, and I had no idea where it was. Well, what about at at school? Were you in the, the choir or the marching band or shit like that? Yeah, so that, this is where it begins a little bit. Like, one of the first times I was physically playing an instrument instrument, I was in marching band, and maybe it was sixth grade or something, and I was put on the bass drum because I didn't have any particular skills playing, playing the drums yet. So I was on the this beginning instrument. and But what was amazing about it is even the bass drum, you had to play interlocking parts. Like you would hit your note, and then one of the other four bass drummers would play a note after you. So you had to be in the right place and be in conversation with them. And uh, so I started playing some drums. And then the when I got more serious, I was in college. I was 19. I bought a short scale Fender Mustang bass and a Gorilla practice amp 
and I just took it everywhere. I put it on me and I wore it to lunch, to dinner, to all of my classes. And I just was always playing it all the time. And I figured that was that was the way to to get things to work out. I think all staying bass is a short scale, but uh, yeah, because <laughs> you know, staying is kind of a word for a woman horse. Really, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, those cars, they only you couldn't yeah, get V8s right, yeah. in it. Yeah, you couldn't get V8s in them at first because you won't you don't want the ladies driving too fast or some bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So this Gorilla amp, I had one of them little practice amps, but mine had to plug in. Did this have a battery you're carrying around with no. you? This is definitely plug in. So when I would, when I mean that I was taking the bass everywhere, it was unamplified. So I would just take it and just practice and move my fingers and listen. And sometimes I would like be somewhere quiet enough that I could still hear the notes that I was playing. Okay, and and you got no grief from the teachers, huh? Like take that fucking thing off. It was so funny, man. Here was the thing. I still remember viscerally. Uh, I was in a physics class one time and I had my bass on me and I was playing it, and the teacher was super annoyed. And would constantly throw the questions my way. And luckily, because of my parents, math and science was the thing that came easily to me. Music was much harder. Everything else was much harder. But I could easily answer whatever was coming my way about some inorganic chemistry, like a, like an equation or solution or or some physics situation or some math problem or whatever. I could just I could answer right away. And then that would put the teacher off my scent a bit. The other thing is. I would argue with people all the time. I remember during those days, I was like, look, if I have my hands under the table and I'm fidgeting, why you're not going to bother me about it. You're just I'm, you're going to accept that I'm in the class. So if I'm just holding a hand up a little bit and moving fingers around, that's not disturbing anything. There's no sound. It should be fine. And I also used to do what I think a lot of bass players have talked about, where they would practice their right hand playing with their fingers by playing that bead that was around the edge of old vinyl seats on cars if you were driving. <laughs> you know what? The right hand or, or the plucking hand, if, you know, it could be a southpaw. It is yeah, so yeah, much more important than the fretting hand. Yeah. It takes a long time because I guess Jimmy and shit, but even Jimmy's right hand was pretty fucking bad. Yeah. But, you know, maybe it was Pag Paganini with the cape and all that fucking showbiz. Because, yeah, it's total of, uh, well, well, look, let's talk about base politics. You know, uh, it's kind of a glue. So how yeah. how long could you be a man alone on the, did you get in a band, like a basement band, a bedroom band, a garage band after school? So one of the early band spaces I was in as a bass player, which I think was really fundamental to what happened in the way I understood the bass, um, there were two two big threads to me relating to the bass. One was hearing U2's Joshua Tree. So I was a really, I was, I had, I was really sad as a kid a lot. I was alone. I had a lot of um, other kids making fun of me, just pretty extreme ostracization. I was, I really felt melancholy, the, the connection to the melancholy understanding of, of, of emotions. And so because of that, I'm in a small town in Pennsylvania, it's the 70s, so there's no internet and there's no connection to immediate connection to subculture. You got to find your people, and they're not easy to find for rural America at that time. So I mostly listened to what was on mainstream radio. And then when Tracy Chapman's Fast Car came out and when U2's Joshua Tree came out, 
they both hit me so hard because there was sadness in them. There was like a heaviness, a melancholy. And so particularly U2's Joshua Tree, I just listened to it over and over and over again. And then somewhere along the way, pre-playing bass, pre-learning how to play, I got the internalized sense that when the bass player changes their note, everything above it just has this miraculous kind of cloud parting, prism turning shift of what it all feels like. Then the second thing was the band I started playing in when I was in college was with my best friend at the time and still is these days. His name is Rhett Pepe. And uh, his name was Zig at that time. He played guitar and we were just extremely tight. Like just he, he taught me everything. He brought He brought me into the world really. And he didn't really play guitar guitar like he didn't really learn chords or play melodies he played noise stuff more and then had an ecstatic way of talking and singing so then as the bass player in a trio where his drums bass and 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 my friend zig i had to somehow give the chords and the bass part and sort of all the music music aside from drums uh with just my instrument so that zig could yell and talk and make little guitar chicken squawks and the drummer could play the drum groove. And so that's kind of where it started, my sense of the bass's role, that it could either be this subtle, giving the whole harmonic picture shift or like kind of give everything in a way at once. Now, did this trio have a name? Yeah, it was it was called the Sub-Zero Picklemen. Because we were in, because we the Red Hot Chili Peppers was just such a funny band name. <laughs> so you were like the antithesis. Exactly. Yeah. I, I want to yeah, play we, something you did with the Yoko Ono here. I got to play on this song.
Live for Pedro Show. Yeah, Yoko Ono with Waiting for the D Train. I got to play this with, uh, I mean, it was a gig here at the Orpheum downtown. Uh, Yuko Araki was on the drums. Oh, she's so awesome. And I love Ig, Ig came out and sang with uh, no Yoko Ono. Way. Wow. way. I, I wouldn't shit you. Yeah, it was, it was a trip. I had just hurt my knee. But fuck it, I, you know, I was in a brace with crutches, but I threw them down to play bass for them. It was something else. And that's a great tune. Uh, Agnes Steck, after that, from uh, Austin with Ironclad, Drip, Eats, Gone, Orbits, Hands Rotten Out of Switzerland, with Freeform, Impro Touch, Bombas Prendon, Mandolin Orchestra. They're pretty self-evident. Transidio with Backstage with Some Big Game. Dale Crover, he's got a new record. And Piso Mahato, huh? Some wet floor. You see the warning signs. Huh? And uh, finally, Badawi. This is with you, Shazad. Dance of the right. Cen- Dance of the Centipedes. So how yeah. long? How long does this pickle man <laughs> last? So the Sub-Zero Pickle Man lasts not too long. Like I, I got kicked out of college for having grades that were too low. When I got really deep into music, I totally stopped studying. I stopped turning in. The term papers and everything and I went from like a really good student to a very very bad student and then that Christmas I got a letter from the school that said don't come back and then that was the beginning of my journey I just went I walked straight off the bridge and um, so Sub-Zero Pickleman the singer my, my dear friend he stayed in college and I just I initially moved to um, to uh, Warrensburg Missouri and was playing in blues bar bands in the middle of Warrensburg. And no joke, the first band was with a biker fellow who was definitely racist, who would just constantly talk about about black people in the worst way. And yet somehow I was standing in front of him and he didn't see that I was that I was brown or a person of color or whatever. Like he he just somehow he looked at me and his brain read me as one as someone that belonged in his picture or something. It's very funny. Yeah, what do they say? Is it safe to tell this? <laughs> is it yeah. safe, Phil? I remember being a kid, you know, because I'm from Navy Housing and we were pretty mixed up and shit. But I noticed civilians, they'd always check when they made jokes if it was safe <laughs> to wow. be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, wow. I thought it was so fucking weird. Uh, you know, when you're a kid, you think everything is the way you grow up and then you find out yeah. it ain't that way. So, yeah. Uh, you know, if anything, you had some good training in uh, keeping your calm. But also, p- playing bass blues is great fucking training. It's so good. It's so good. And especially you're in a bar, and if the band's doing well, if the band's, like, giving something, then the, then the audience is into it. If it's not, they're not. And you just right away, you start to understand that energetic connection right. of what you're giving when you're playing. Right, right. So I, I forgot to ask, did the Pickle Men ever do, Sub-Zero Pickle Men ever do a gig? You know, I think we only played at our college, which I was I was just wondering whether it's, I should ask you, like, is this okay? I was just going to, I was just wondering whether it'd be okay to like tell you how important you are to me. I know that kind of stuff is like, it, it always, you know, can feel a little weird. But the thing is, I went to school at Simon's Rock, um, and that was a school in Western Massachusetts that was directly affiliated with Bard College in upstate New York. And 
my best friend Zig introduced me to a couple things. He introduced me to uh, psychedelics like acid and mushrooms, and then he also introduced me to punk rock and to the the bands that, that grew out of that on SST. And so he was like, "We have to get in your car, and we have to drive a couple of hours from Simon's Rock to Bard College." We have to go see Firehose. That's really, really important. And um, I said, okay, great, let's do it. So we got in the car, we drove over, and you guys were playing at Bard College, and it was one of the most important gigs ever for me, ever. And I still, I still can close my eyes and see see you and see the three of you playing. And and that's why um, on on one of the tracks I sent you, I put a little quote in there of of one of your bass lines. Okay, okay. Well, you know, Minutemen yeah. got. Minutemen got we to play have, that school too. I think I ended up playing Bard three at least three times. Yeah, yeah, that's what I imagine. So I bet you because that school was great for like supporting all kinds of music yeah, coming through the studio. Absolutely, stuff. absolutely. Uh, uh, a little school. I think it was a seminary or something. that got turned into a college or something. Yeah, and yeah. Right, right off the Hudson River, uh, I think Red Hook. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, right. And then there's a famous MTV interview with the Minutemen in, in the last few months. of Well, we didn't know it at the time. But yeah. uh, we're at the end of the first hour on January 18, 2021. Dishwap Pedro Show, special guest, Shazad Ismaili. Hold tight for hour two. January 18, 2021. It's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro Show.
searching all around But looking everywhere And baby when I find it I'm gonna sail out of here Because there's got to be a river as sure as you're born There's got to be a river, a river to ride I said there's got to be a river sure as you're born And baby I'm gonna sail away Gonna sail away Gonna sail away Gonna sail away Gonna sail away
has got the right to do what they want to do. But your eyes, they caught me by surprise. Cause with me you do what you want to do.
Henry left his hammer Side of the road Land side of the road John Henry he left his hammer Land side of the road Land side of the road show start off the second hour with drive from the secret chiefs three uh sam bennett after that gotta gotta be a river foodie uh osake yeah sam bennett's been in tokyo 25 years now uh let's go to haro weku biscuit mouth from england uh darby yeah they spell it derby huh they say darby feel make feel that's a title Marty with Will of Tree, number two. And then finally, Sam Amidon, Spike Driver Blues. Who's Sam? I, th- this is something you gave me, Shazad. Yeah. Okay, enlighten me to Sam Amidon. Okay, so here's how it goes. Um, Sam Amidon is a kid that grew up in that, in that strong New England tradition of the parents sing and play, the kids sing and play, they perform the five of them, they go on the road all the time. Uh, the kids learn like fiddle and banjo and, and vocals and harmonies. And so Sam and his brother Stefan and his mom and dad, they would do all this kind of like folk touring and they were part of the Bread and Puppet Theater, all kinds of like beautiful Vermont New England kind of stuff, folky stuff, kind-hearted stuff. And so Sam that moves to New York and he and I are in a band with this fellow that called himself Doveman, Thomas Bartlett. And um, Sam and I had a really good connection. Just We were side people in that group, like just the two of us were playing our little parts, but we hung at the ends of shows and things. And then Sam came to me and he said, listen, I want to learn improvising from you. And I said, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. 
We're living in New York. Anytime you want to come to my house, you come in. We don't say hello. You walk in the door. You immediately pick up the instrument. We play for as long or as short as we want to, five minutes, 10 minutes, 40 minutes, and we walk out the door and we don't talk to each other at all. And so then we started doing that. It was so relaxing because there's so much small talk or like life that happens when you walk into a room sometime and to just cut all that out, walk and a, and a human walks in and you're just playing and then they walk right out and you don't have to engage in anything like how are you or what's up or, or what, where'd you come from today? or And um, it just felt right. And it gave both of us a stronger and stronger connection with each other. So that then when Sam started striking out and doing his own stuff, he would call me a lot to play on records or play on gigs or go on tours or things like that. Well, you know, I like this idea of just getting to play and not all the fucking little chit chat shit. Sometimes yeah, that yeah. seems like filler. You know, I took a drummer on the last tour I did. He's just a few months short of 40 years younger than me. And I remember wow. saying him saying, hey, we got a couple hours to kill. And I looked at him. <laughs> he didn't have to say anything. Look, we started off with Secret Chiefs. But, but, but you mentioned New York City. So I got I to gotta pick up from there because we left off in St. Louis. Now, how did you get to New York City? Oh yeah, so so there I was. I was I was uh, in Warrensburg, Missouri, and uh, and the Rodney King riots happened. It's like around ninety two, and uh, that town exploded. Like it would, there was a state college that was predominantly African American, and they just like cars were on fire, and it was this tiny town, and and the the white population there was completely freaked out. I felt just strange being there suddenly, and I got in the car and I just started driving west. I had a friend in Arizona. Um, then because of that friend, I started a band out in Arizona with her. She was a singer, and we and I lived there for seven or eight years. Now, most of my life, when I was a tiny kid up through college, etc., I had this desire to move to live in New York City. But unlike Patti Smith and the Robert Maplethorpe's kind of folks, I didn't have the internal guts or courage or sort of a lodestone to say as an 18 or 19 year old, I'm going there, I'm going to do it. Instead, my life took a different path. I lived in Arizona for a while, played a band out there. Then all at once, the band stops. My my relationship with this woman I was with stops. And I was kind of, I was untethered. And I thought I was 28 years old. It was like almost 2000 or 1999. And I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to move to New York. And then I got in the car and I lived upstate for about a year to, just because I felt maybe nervous to go straight to the city and then slowly made my way over that year down into New York. And starting in 2000, that's where I've been since then. Whoa. I want to play this uh, tune you gave me that you did with Milford Graves. Okay.
no, 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 no,
15 in the a.m. The third Klosthaler bottle stands with its two brothers on the countertop with the rest of the recycling. Last time I had five years in and then I drank that nasty cooking sherry to get the balls to walk down to the herd market and get a six Colt 45, just like Billy D. Williams. When I woke up in the morning, I did not feel like Billy D. Williams. 
The buddy took me to an AA meeting. So, do I got to start over again, or can I just forget that last night? Came out with a white chip again. 20 years later, contemplating drinking again. Not like those times long ago when I'd be in the 7-Eleven and my feet would lead me to the in-cap display selling Mad Dog 2020 in every flare. I like the picture blurry, so I can't see too much in a Monet painted by Jack Daniels. I'm ready this time to finish where I started, feral and howling as expected.
Watford Pedro Show, Milford Graves, Shazad Ismaili, IPR. Is that acronym? Yeah, it's just an acronym for Issue Project Group, which was the venue that got us to do that gig together. Ah, okay. And then we had uh, Jerome Parker Wells out of St. Louis, Missouri. As, Ig- as Ignatio and referee. Sorry for fucking that language pronounced. <laughs> Leighton Jars with the end of the gray. No, the end for the gray. Of course, they're from England, so there's an E there. <laughs> Sam Lockward, <laughs> Iowa City with, where'd you go? Contemplating drinking again from Phil Venable on North Carolina. And finally, Mares and Shazad Ismaili with Assembly. Now, we started the second hour off with Secret Chiefs 3. This is where I got to share a stage with you at the, uh, I think it was a Supersonic Festival. Right. Uh, six That's years right. ago in Birmingham, yeah. England, at an old former custard factory. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and I think the Secret Chief, it was kind of the boss of uh, the Mr. Bungle or something. That's right. It was one of the four. You know, Mr. Bungle was four, I think four people or so, something like that. And then they would extend the band once in a while. And one of those four band members then when Bungle ended, started Secret Chiefs 3. And that was the guitar player, Trey. I know there was an incredible bass man in that band, Trevor Dunn. Oh, Trevor Dunn, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be uh, on the show, uh, Stevie. In fact, we got to give Stevie Bono credit for making the oh, connect for this. No doubt. Although I oh. wanted you on the show for years and years. But uh, uh, Stevie made it happen. Thank you, Brother Stevie, for, for doing that. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. A- absolutely. So uh, uh, t- tell me about this mares. Okay. So in this case, I'm in Bern, Switzerland. And I start going there a lot for different uh, because of different connections I had there. Um, I think one of the first people I started to go there with was um, was my partner Gita, who's a cellist from Iceland, and we would play shows there with this drummer that lived there named Julian Sartorius. And Julian is just profoundly weird. Um, possibly on the spectrum would do things called the beat diary where every day he would make a little beat regardless of where where he physically was whether it was a train bathroom or up in a tree or hiking up in the mountains he would just find physical objects make a beat record it put it out and then eventually collect them all onto a big uh vinyl collection vinyl like album set of four albums or something and um so Julian and I started playing together and then Julian introduced me to a British fellow named Meritz, M-E-R-Z. And Meritz was part of that 90s kind of uh, British electronic pop sort of explosion thing that happened with the Chemical Brothers. And I think Massive Attack was around the same time and and Beth Thornton and other people. And Meritz did some tracks and they did well and he was part of it. Then he got super quiet. He went to Bern, Switzerland. And in Switzerland, like many European countries, there's deep uh, support of the arts. So he got a huge workspace, a living space, and he set up his gear there. And Merritt's or Conrad, he and I started to get to know each other from all the visits I would do, and Julian played drums with him. Then one day, Merritt said, look, come over, let's just play a little bit. And we just were completely improvising. And his vibe was just so strong. Like he would just play a couple of notes on a zither, and then music was just filling the room. 
because of something about the spirit with which he played those couple notes. And I was I was enjoying it. And then those little, little improvisations made their way onto an ambient record that's essentially merits me and Laraji. And I'm sure you probably know of Laraji, like it's incredible, sure. like ambient zither player. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, look, you okay. hit on something that's I consider very important: the spirit. Yeah. Not you, I know she didn't mention technique. You said the spirit. That's right. Yeah. That's really important, Shazad. Much respect. Yeah. We're at the end of the second hour. January 18, 2021, Dishwap Pedro Show. Special guest Shazadis Maley. Hold tight for hour three. January 18, 2021. It's the third hour. A lot for Pedro Show.
on a paper and gave it to me. For years in my pocket, where no one could see. How can I change the way that I felt? I slipped the paper in the pocket of somebody else. Someone with matches, someone with bronze, someone with blue eyes to gaze upon your name, your whole story. The story you have given to me. Summer eaves, but my hands are empty, and my throat is cracked 
Yes, I sang away the name you gave to me. Shall we start off the third hour? Shazad was enlightening me uh, to the differences <laughs> between people making music now and then. Uh, but, you know, I will say something about these people nowadays. They're much more open-minded. Like, there's, like yeah, I told you about going on tour with a guy 40 years younger. That would have never happened when I was his yeah, age, when true. I was 22, when I was a young man. man. Like, oh, what are you, a perv? Well, you're hanging yeah. out with young people. Yeah. People, uh, we start off the third hour with uh, Teach Me to Bear You, Bonnie Prince, Billy, and the Cairo Gang. I just had Emmett Kelly, uh, you know, uh, the music man, not the clown, uh, a, a couple episodes ago. Wow. Emmett's amazing. Yeah, man. Got to play. He was playing me all kinds of stuff. And in fact, uh, later on this hour, we got something he did with a fucking great drummer man, Jim White. Oh, fuck yeah. Jim, yeah. And, uh, Jim and I are, are hanging a bit and like playing some music together. Is that right? Not far from Brooklyn. He's in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. People, not, not now. Now he's in Australia. Yeah. That's where he's, he's from. I want to tell the people. He's, oh, I met him when he was in the Dirty Three. In fact, we did 54. Okay. They let me play with him a bunch of gigs in between because wow. I was on the big day out with him. Uh, wow. Up in the portal for pyro guys. Then we had Jam Number One, 1993 Jam San Pedro Backyard Party featuring the late great Richard Derrick and Crane, uh, Tollum and uh, John Dietrich from Deerhoof with O3. John Dietrich just lost his older brother. Some big no. Yeah. And then finally, yeah. <laughs> I think you made this for me. <laughs> it's, got, it's got the number four, but I'm assuming it might be F O R too. Shazad Ismaili. Right. Okay. So. Can I ask you about this? Because this ain't a bass you're playing, right? You can play. You can play any instrument, right? You just pick it up and start going at it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my space. Like I am not. Um, I I still haven't gotten to be a shredder on anything. I guess my space is that like I I have something I want to give, and then whatever I pick up, I find I find a way to make it happen through that sound. And sometimes that might mean I don't have a lot of techniques, so I'm playing really sparsely, or sometimes it might be an instrument that I physically know how to play, so I'm playing a little bit more adeptly. 
but it's more that I'm hearing or feeling something or wanting to say something to you or wanting to find a way to give you a hug or to look at you. And then I want to do that through the sound that I'm holding at the moment. Wow. Okay. So like if I put a bassoon into it, <laughs> you'd hug that thing or you'd give me a hug I'd that go, way. <laughs> go for it, man. I would go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, but again, it's that idea of the spirit over technique. It's, it's yeah. you know, the bottom line. You know, sometimes uh, all this other stuff without a, a real bottom line, a real purpose, it really seems like a fucking lame. I don't know. Uh, I, I like what you're doing, man. I really, I, I love it. I love it. Uh, here's something. I, th I thought it had a trio name in German, but you got all three guys' name: Raz, Messini, yeah, uh, Johnny Gandelsman, and then yourself, yeah. and something called Sleepwalker. That's right. It, it was it was a German name uh, that was on the track originally. It was it was uh, Schlafwandler, which it. is German for Sleepwalker. Oh, okay, and, okay. And then I just thought, uh, fuck it, I'll just put it in English. And the thing is. Um, this was a piece of music that Roz uh, wrote, and then he had Johnny and himself and myself make it come to be. And I think the reason why it's still, why this particular piece of music and also Roz, my time with Roz is still important to me, is that he taught me experientially something amazing about playing bass that I didn't know about before hanging with him. So he would have me play pretty simple cellular objects like maybe the one and the three in 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 a set of five beats so one two three four one two three four one two three four and i would just and he would ask me to just play that for a long time and then he and johnny would move around it if you can in your mind imagine like maybe three hanging pyramids that are all rotating at different speeds. So those guys would be moving around me in different ways. And then what, what Roz asked me to do was really, really deeply imagine that I started the beginning of a very long walk in a desert landscape. And so once you're in the desert and, and the sand dunes are looking like the last set of sand dunes, you start to lose your sense of directionality and you're just in it. You're in this wide landscape where there isn't really a strong feeling of forward, backward, right and left. And that was the zone he was asking me to get to. And then I, I you know, made up or invented or discovered or whatever for myself, not that other people also don't already know this themselves, but I started to understand that, okay, if I play a note and I fret it with my first finger and then with my second, third or fourth finger, I decide how muted the note is going to be. Like above the fretting finger, would I put just my second finger down so it's slightly muted? Would I put my third and fourth finger down so the note I'm about to play is almost like a click, like totally muted? And so as I was playing this one, two, three, four, five, one, sometimes for like 50 minutes straight, I was only changing is the note open or shorter, or muted, or super muted, or less muted, or open, or muted, and then that was it. And then otherwise, I was staying playing the same thing, and I started to get into such a meditative zone, uh, like a kind of 
seeing the very subtle shifts, like maybe if you could see the lifespan of a tree in slow time lapse over a thousand years and how the tree itself very little is shifting, but so much is, is so much is changing around it. Like humans decide to uh, leave the caves and leave the trees and make cars and industrial revolution, etc. But the tree itself is just very gently shifting. Yes, is right? The oldest living thing on the planet. Well, let's listen. Yeah. Let's listen.
Waffle Pedro show last music for this edition. Yeah. The schlub walker. Yeah. <laughs> Roz and Shazad, Johnny. After that, Tim Hohouse with uh, Zone, the lady with the alligator purse from the World Inferno Friendship Society. Don of the Double. This is part one of four. Emmett Kelly with Jim White. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, Jim. Harry's back in the racket, right? And he can fucking, he feels out of tune, man. I love it when he oh, puts absolutely. that tambourine on the snare drum and like, I'm going to shake it around. Uh, and then finally, oh, Love in Exile. Song number one. What, what What's this Love in Exile? So what happened was um, I was, you know, sometimes you don't come you don't come through people's radars until the time is right. And so there was this like very very heavy um, jazz improvising piano player named VJ Iyer, and we were sort of we were sort of like animals sniffing around each other through all these years of living in New York. And then one day he's got a gig at the kitchen, which you I'm sure you remember because it's been around forever, like since the 80s or something. And so yeah. he's got a gig at the kitchen. And he, the bass player is not available. So he calls me super last minute. And he's like, listen, something like three three days from now, can you come and do this gig? And I'll, I'll send you the music. And so I roll over there. I learn the music that's meant to be learned. And then he says, listen, um, we're also going to do a short improvised set with this singer named Aruj Aftab. And so I say, okay, great. So we roll in and we just found it. We found a space together just very suddenly. He was playing piano. I was playing either electric bass or Moog bass, like on a Moog synth, and she was singing, and that was it. And then it felt so strong to the three of us that we went on to play a few more gigs, and we never spoke about the material. We always just showed up at the soundcheck and then just played the gig. Whatever happened, happened. And uh, we even just did that recently at the Jazz Gallery in uh, quarantining isolation just about four days ago, like a kind of live stream thing. And so what you're what you played or what you're about to play is uh No, we already played it. <laughs> yeah, play, yeah, great. What you're about to play is No, we already played it. We already played it. Oh great. <laughs> sorry. You can just edit all this out. I'm so sorry. What we nah, just we don't heard, edit on a Watt Pedro show. <laughs> great. Well we uh well great, I'm glad. I'm glad that's the way it should be. So what we were listening to was a was a recording of us slowly making a record in the studio was oh, one of the tracks. That's beautiful. That. Where can people find you on the internet, Shazad? Oh man, you know, I'm really excited to say I'm really, really excited to say they can find me on Instagram at ectoderm eighty eight. And the reason I'm excited is I'm aiming to get as many followers as possible without ever posting anything. So if they can find me, follow me, that'd make me so happy. And if you ever actually need some information by virtue of being there, just send me a direct message and be like, hey, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Or or what's your favorite bass line? Or whatever you want to ask me, send me a message. I love I love hanging with people. Nice. So Instagram, ectoderm88, that's E-C-T-O-D-E-R-M, the outer layer of your skin, ectoderm88. Okay, eight eight is numbers, people. Yeah, that's it's right. It's a big honor to have you on the show. When you get new music, please come back on. Truly, what well, it'd be my I would be honored. You've meant so much to me all the years that I picked up an instrument to play. I never forget 
the impact that it has to have seen you and to have learned from you. I really appreciate being here with you. Oh, you're most kind, truly, Shazat. Thank you so much. Keep on, keep it on. People, it's been the January 18, 2021 edition of Pedro. So keep your powder dry.